Hello and welcome to the Fly in the Milk podcast. My name is Jason Oliver. I created the Fly in the Milk podcast as a space to come hear about how race functions and manifests in our everyday lives. Each week, we'll discuss topics ranging from our favorite TV shows, Hello Insecure, to how race functions within our favorite sports teams and everything in between. Fly in the Milk is designed to be a safe space where you can come, listen, and perhaps even contribute. Some weeks we'll have guests come in to share their stories and perspectives. Other weeks we'll do book reviews like we're doing this week. If you like what you hear, email me, share your perspective, give me your feedback. Send it to jason at flyinthemilk.com. That's jason at flyinthemilk.com. Coming up, we're doing a book review of White Rage by Dr. Carol Anderson. Stay tuned. I don't know about you, but with all of the civil unrest that's been going on, it has caused me to scour Amazon to look at books because I want to broaden my knowledge, give myself some context around a lot of the stuff. And when I say stuff, I'm specifically talking about race relations. I'm talking about diversity and inclusion within organizations, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the books that I stumbled across was Dr. Carol Anderson's White Rage. I say stumbled across it, but full disclosure, I follow Jonathan Capehart on Twitter. And Jonathan Capehart had Dr. Carol Anderson on his podcast, and he posted it on Twitter. His podcast is Cape Up. Shout out to Jonathan Capehart. If you are listening to this, I appreciate you doing this. But this brought Dr. Carol Anderson to my attention and her book, White Rage. So who is Dr. Carol Anderson? Well, Dr. Anderson is the Samuel Caldler Dobbs Professor of African American Studies down in Atlanta at Emory University. And her book, White Rage, explores the history of African-American suppression here in the United States from Reconstruction to the start of the 21st century. So the first thing that struck me is the context that was set in the prologue of the book where Dr. Anderson writes about how she first wrote about White Rage as an op-ed piece in the Washington Post right after the Michael Brown killing in Ferguson, Missouri back in 2014. Now, I'm a Missouri man. I was born and raised in Missouri, albeit on the other side of the state in Kansas City, but Missouri just the same. And I'm a proud alumni of the University of Missouri, otherwise known as Mizzou, M-I-Z to all of those Mizzou alums out there. I say all this to say I am well aware of the culture of the region and the state, or at least I thought I was. The truth is, most of us are not aware of the circumstances of which we're growing up. We just aren't. When you're a kid, you're a kid. You're immersed in your own world. And I absolutely love the high school experience growing up in South Kansas City, but I couldn't tell you where my school was ranked academically 30 years ago. I can tell you that my parents worked very hard to provide a nice life for my brother and I, a nice middle-class life in a middle-class suburb, a suburb that, looking back, was becoming less and less white from kindergarten to the time I got to high school. So I was essentially experiencing white flight without even knowing it. 
these were just my friends and I love my friends and I had a great experience. I wouldn't change anything. I'm very proud of the high school I went to. And honestly, I'm one of the few Americans that can say I went to a truly integrated high school. Dr. Anderson's book helped me understand the dynamics that were in motion before I was born and how it impacted everything from the Great Migration to education, that is my education, to voter suppression and to what black people know to be the Obama backlash. So in the first three chapters of White Rage, Dr. Anderson focuses on three things, the horrific events of Reconstruction, the Great Migration, and the disregard of the Brown versus Board of Education ruling. Now, a little real talk for you. Most Americans couldn't tell you what Reconstruction was. They couldn't tell you what the Great Migration was. And they certainly couldn't give you details around what the Brown versus Board of Education ruling was designed to do. So before we even get knee deep into this, Dr. Anderson's already providing value. Now, before you jump into feeling guilty about not knowing, feeling guilty about spending all that money on a higher education and going through high school, middle school, elementary school, without so much as most of this stuff being mentioned, please know and please cut yourself a little slack because this was done by design. Let's take Reconstruction for a moment, shall we? Reconstruction was that 12 years or so right after the Civil War, you know, the period right after the slaves were free, or at least most of them were free. You see, Reconstruction was essentially the American government, more specifically, the Northerners trying to hold the country together and provide a pathway for the freed slaves to try to live their lives like regular white Americans. But come on now, you know white Southerners of the Confederacy were going to have none of that. There is no way in the world they were going to do a 180 in their worldview of black slaves because they lost the Civil War. So predictably, white Southerners terrorized the freed slaves. The freed slaves got little, if any, protection from the government. And due to a president who empowered former Confederacy soldiers to positions in Congress, I'll say that one more time, empowered former Confederacy soldiers. Now, they lost the war down in the Confederacy, but this president empowered them in Congress and Reconstruction came to an abrupt end. Any progress that was made was regressed and freed slaves continued to be terrorized. And this is a part of the show where I go back to you spend thousands of dollars on an education and you're probably spending that money on your kids education and they're not being taught this. Why is that? The good news is you can pick up Dr. Carol Anderson's book, White Rage, and learn about it. Next up. The Great Migration. How many of you guys know what the Great Migration is? Tell the truth. You know you don't know, but that's okay because we're going to go ahead and go over it and you're going to pick up her book and you're going to learn about it. Growing up in Kansas City, Missouri, and there is a distinction because there's a Kansas City, Kansas. I just happened to grow up on the Missouri side, but I never really thought too much about how black folks were stratified throughout the country. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was really clear where white folks were in the metro area, but it wasn't until I graduated from Mizzou and I traveled to California that I began to notice something right away. And I have been in Seattle, living in Seattle for about the last 20 years, and now it is abundantly clear 
that once you travel west from Kansas City, you're not running into a lot of black folks until you get to L.A. or maybe even Oakland. But in between there, oh, no, not a lot of black people. So I want you to think about it for a minute. Right. You're traveling west from Kansas City. That means cities like Denver, Phoenix, Salt Lake. Well, I know you didn't expect any black folks to be in Salt Lake, but I digress. Seattle, Las Vegas. These are major cities in major states like Colorado, Wyoming. You know, I actually took a a football recruiting trip to the University of Wyoming in Laramie. I knew right away I wasn't going there. Now, for the folks, particularly the black folks that are playing for the Wyoming Cowboys, listen, there is a history that you need to check out. And I believe it was a class of 1969. Wyoming's come a long way. But understand that in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was an athlete, we didn't have Internet. Enough said. Uh, what about the Dakotas? Utah. I mentioned that before. Montana, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico. Those are a lot of states where there don't seem to be a lot of black folks. Why is that? And how the heck did black folks get to California? How did they get to Washington or Oregon? They didn't just snap their fingers and appear there. This is where Dr. Carol Anderson comes through. She provides context for how and why that happened. It was called the Great Migration. It was a period between 1910 and 1970 where millions of black folks fled the South because they were treated in a barbaric way. I mean, horribly by white Southerners again. Now, didn't we just talk about white Southerners and how they treated freed slaves back during Reconstruction? Uh-huh. There seems to be a theme, right? Right. And so black folks fled north to cities like Chicago and Detroit, St. Louis, Cleveland. Yes, even Kansas City. But they also went west to California mainly. But there are a few that went on up to Seattle, went to Portland. And again, the primary driver behind this was two things. Number one, they were treated horribly, like I said before, down south. And it's documented, but also there were job opportunities. And most black folks that were in the South were sharecroppers. You guys know about sharecroppers, right? Working on land that you don't really own. You're not a slave, but you don't own the land that you're working on, nor do you dictate what your compensation is going to be. Yeah, I would have thought going up north by any means necessary would be the way to go, and so would you. And millions of black folks did. In fact, in 1919, 83% of black folks in the United States were in the South. I'll say that again. In 1910, 83% of the black folks in the United States were in the South. By 1970, 40% were in the South. Again, it went from 83% in 1910 to 40% in 1970. That's a whole lot of black folks migrating north. Oh, and if you're a white person listening to this and you're from the north and you're thinking, yeah, those southern whites are so bad. Now, they were. They were horrible. But what Dr. Anderson underscores that I think is important is how horrible white northerners were to black folks who were migrating north. 
She does a terrific job of underscoring this phenomenon that was surprising to many black folks who were migrating north because racism was everywhere and still is in the United States. Now, there's a different level of intensity, and I use this analogy. If someone's going to look you dead in your eye and they're going to say to you, you got to choose one of the two, a punch or a slap, which one's it going to be? You're going to look at them and say, go ahead and slap me because no one wants to be punched. Well, northerners were slapping. Southerners were punching. It was the difference between having a good job and having racists not wanting you to live in their neighborhoods versus sharecropping and having the threat of being lynched at any moment. Those were the choices. Which one would you have taken? And that brings us to Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka. And this is where Dr. Anderson underscores this ruling. What ruling was the Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka? That was a landmark ruling of the Supreme Court back in 1954, where the court said in a unanimous ruling that racial segregation of children in public schools is unconstitutional everywhere. Not everywhere, everywhere. That's Mississippi, Florida, Montana, Wyoming, Maine, everywhere. Now, this is where Dr. Anderson really puts her foot in this, because I'm going to give you one guess what part of the country resisted this. I'll wait. Uh-huh. Southern states, predictably, did everything they could all the way up until today, ladies and gentlemen. It is, what, July 13th, 2020? They're still doing it. Resisting. Oh, and Northerners, I'm going to have to do it to you again because I know you're feeling yourself. I know you're looking down at those white Southerners if you're white in the North and you're judging them, saying, that's not me. I want you to take a look at how white your school is right now. Uh-huh. That school your kid went to? Uh-huh. That's you. That is a form of resistance. And yes, it's happened and it happened back then in the North as well as in the South. We're talking about a difference in style. You see, Southerners are right in your face with it. You're going to know where they stand. They're going to let you know. And historically, they have from Reconstruction through the Great Migration, through the Civil Rights era. They've been very consistent. And when you look at how the Southern region votes, it's very predictable. In the North, we're passive aggressive about it. We're going to act like it's not happening. I tell you right away, I got white friends here in Seattle who want to talk about how we're not Alabama or Mississippi. And you know what I say to them? The difference between Alabama, Mississippi and Seattle is about a million black folks. You bring that many black folks up here and you're going to start to see very similar behavior among white folks when it comes to race, as you see down in the South. So Northerners, please understand that racism comes in different styles, but it hurts all the same. So at this point, you're probably saying, yeah, Jay, it seems like Dr. Anderson's book is one of those books that are really dense. They're reference books. That's great. There's a lot of great information, but they're not fun to read. Okay. Don't nobody want to sit up and read a reference book. And you know what? I'm feeling you on that. But honestly, no, Dr. Anderson's book doesn't read like a reference book. She has a really nice writing style. You guys should check it out. And it's really about 250, maybe 300 pages of actual content. She wraps up by seriously addressing voter suppression in a way that's so eye-opening that I can't even get to it on this podcast without the podcast being an hour long. But 
hear me. You need to read this book and you need to zero in on that voter suppression to not only get the context of what was going on in the past, but how it ties into today and how much of the resurgence of the voter suppression happened right after President Obama was elected. Big surprise. What is the theme we've seen through Reconstruction, through the Great Migration, through Brown versus Board? It's that word resistance again. It keeps cropping up. And anytime there seems to be progress made on behalf of black folks throughout history, there was huge resistance. So with that, I will wrap this particular podcast up. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. Once again, I strongly recommend you pick up Dr. Carol Anderson's White Rage. My name is Jason Oliver. This is the Fly in the Milk podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.